This is the Zombie Coder Podcast, where less is more, worse is better, and features have purpose. I'm Andrew, a reformed Usenet troll, dog lover, long-term open source fan, and Linux user, speaking from a small family homestead in the Midwest, distracted by a growing chore list. This is episode one of this podcast, where I will attempt to go into depth of all things computer science, programming, coding, and technology. And I really debated what to put in this episode. Um, you know, the first episode, it feels like I need to set the tone and, and describe why I view things the way I view them and go into a little bit of the philosophy, the overriding concerns that I have, the goals and communication that I would like other people to have, and, and kind of go into that. And how does one do that? And to me, the best way, the best way to, to illustrate a point is to tell stories. And, and I don't have a lot of really good stories. So I thought I would tell one of the stories I find interesting, and that's on the creation of Usenet and the internet in general. Well, I say Usenet, excuse me, I mean newsgroups. Newsgroups, those wonderful things that we can share all sorts of binaries on, get copies of movies before they're really... I Wait, no, that's not what it's for? Okay. I, I was just now reading something that said newsgroups were apparently intended to communicate before, and I would have never guessed based off of how they're used today. Now... Why news groups to kind of talk about my personal philosophy and, and how I view development and technology? Well, I, I'll give you two reasons. The first, the, the history illustrates the good, bad, and ugly of software development uh, and technology, maintenance, and how popular solutions can lose or how upstarts can change the game. And the second is news groups in general where were where a lot of the original infrastructure for the internet um, not was not necessarily based, but it's where a lot of the original infrastructure for the internet was, well, we'll call it developed. Like, these groups, when they, when they were being founded, were the basics of what the internet would eventually become. Now, you, you had that and the government's uh, network at the time, ARPANET, which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit here. But the goal is really to focus in on news groups and what they became as what I would call the original social network. These existed before Friendster and MySpace even, uh, before definitely before Facebook took over. Uh, they were where communication happened online. Uh, before really the web and web 2.0 kind of came in and we can kind of set the scene you're you're in north carolina uh you have two duke university students it's 1979 uh reagan's not yet in office i don't think he's in office yeah uh reagan's not yet in office uh you're you're still kind of on the the tail end of the 70s and these two guys, they're familiar with their university's news system. Uh, it, it's a way that um, when you log on a computer, you know, you can see news of the day, uh, announcements, uh, basically just text files that you would list out and say, okay, yeah, here's what's going on. And these two characters, uh, Tom Truscott and 
Jim Ellis in 1979 wanted to connect two networks, uh, two major computers together, and, and experiment with their own system for distributing news. And they did it. Uh, at, at the time, they were, they were both you know, using Unix systems, and, and there was a protocol for Unix, or, or a program called UUCP. And th this program would let you take files from one Unix computer and copy it to another, and, and that's how it became called UUCP, Unix to Unix copy. Um, you'll, you'll note in this, this history here that everybody had very creative, highly marketable names for everything like you, UCP. Anyway, so yeah, they're at a big school. They have access to ARPANET. They have, they have a degree of, of technological you know, facility there because they're at a major university. And they developed this system using this off-the-shelf software called UCP and, and some shell scripting. And, and they get these computers talking together. And they have... One computer at uh, UNC and one computer at Duke, and they synchronize. Uh, you know, you have news on the Duke computer, it gets over to UNC, and news on the UNC computer gets over to Duke, and it's really cool. Um, it's slow, uh, it's kind of crappy, it doesn't do a lot. Um, and they have trouble with it. it it's not performant. It, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit of a beast to run. Now, it's worth thinking about at this point in time, you're talking about all of your communications happening over modem. Everything's going over phone lines. So you actually have a phone line or, or you know, number that gets called on this modem uh, between these two schools and, and they're communicating. They're communicating that way. Well, while, while they're kind of discussing just how crappy their software is, guy overhears them and says, you know what? You should write that in C because th then you could make it faster, right? So now at this point in time, shell scripts, they're not fun to use. Uh, uh, so redoing this in C, that was definitely a way to get some performance. And these guys are like, well, you know, we did this thing. It, it's kind of crappy. And he's like, oh, no, no, I can, I can, I can fix it myself. So th this guy goes and he rewrites uh, their code in C to get these two computers talking together and, you know, gets it back up, gets it up and running. All right, now we got these two computers talking together and, and we have this piece of software. What will we call it? Uh, a. We will call it A. It shall be A and that is what it shall be. We will call it A. You know, that that's a little bit overly generic. A News. And that was the creation of the A News server. The, the original server that you can kind of look back on and look at the lineage of, of news groups in general and see that this piece of software was largely responsible for the creation of news groups as we knew them at their height and news groups today. All right, so what can we learn so far? Well, well, two lessons. The first lesson that I would like to highlight is never, ever come up with an idea and suggest that you can do it really easily if you don't have the intention of being able to do it yourself. Um, uh, and definitely, if, if you don't want to get into a situation where you're voluntold to do something, uh, as you know, this character Stephen was. And the, the second is 
develop a good MVP, a minimal viable product. And that's what you had here with this thing. It, it didn't do a lot. It was really the bare minimum to just copy text articles between these two computers. But it did enough to capture interest and mindshare. And that's where you have some of the basis of what would become news groups. All right, now fast forward, not, not necessarily a few years, but really just a, a few months. And now you have the Unix conference. And this is a conference at the time where you, Unix fans got together and talked about uh, computing and technology. And this character, Jim Ellis, that was responsible for partial development of the original A News server, again, creative name, he gives a presentation at this, this, uh, this group. And this is a, a direct quote from him at, at the time. And, and I just love this because it is so typical of how good technology gets developed. This is a sloppy proposal. Let's start a committee. No thanks. Yes, there are problems. Several amateurs collaborated on this plan, but let's get started now. Once the net is in place, we can start the committee. And they will actually use the net so they will know what the real problems are, end quote. So you can tell here, you know, this, this guy, he is a grad student. So you know, there's a bit of, there's a bit of uh, sarcasm. You can kind of lay on to that. Um, and again, we're talking about these early days. And one of the things to keep in mind here is at this point in time, there's not general access to the internet or really an internet in general you have people calling with their computers to other computers over modem you have these unix machines at universities and you have arpanet and arpanet is largely defense contractors government and big big universities with lots of money and corporate grants so really what uh this proposal was was a network that that would compete with ARPANET in some ways and and provide a much lower cost option than the rather expensive required bandwidth and maintenance for an ARPANET connection you know at this point in time uh, I believe the figure was a hundred thousand dollars to connect to ARPANET and and we're talking the 80s so it's it's a lot lot more money than today uh the you know the equivalent dollar figure well despite it being a cool idea not many really joined it did not gain popularity all that quick and again some you had you had really this class of super nerds that you know had some money to to have these computers call each other you know maybe overnight maybe once a week maybe once a day uh depending on well, how much they were willing to foot for long-distance bills. Keep in mind, this is back when you had to pay to call outside of town. Uh, not like today, where long distance is you know, just included in your, your, uh, your cell phone package. And everybody's on landlines. So, again, it's a very different time. And one of these people, these early adopters, was Mary Horton. And she took the server at uh, the University of California, Berkeley. So we're on both coasts now. You have the, the uh, UNC and Duke people, and you have now uh, this computer in California. And she wrote software to bridge 
ARPANET to Usenet. So it would take the articles that people had published, you know, all, all different subjects on ARPANET, this government uh, stodgy corporate network, but you had lots of academia there. So there was lots of really cool content. Um, and she wrote this piece of software that would take that content and move it over to Usenet, uh, to the newsgroup sites. And it was really this that got people going. Uh, the infusion of extra content, the network effects of having that extra content, of it being available, kicked off newsgroups and, and Usenet to a large degree. And it also started creating problems. Now, at, at this point in time, you have software that was developed with the intent of only a handful of users. Like, it's barely tested. And now you have people with this interest in, in all of these subjects and, and this nice uh, government university application uh, network. And what do you do? Well, you got to scale the system. And so a high school student by the name of Matt Glickman, he's looking for a spring break project. He's, he's bored and smart and as some smart people are tend to do, he tries to find, uh, you know, a mentor and whatnot. And uh, Mary, you know, suggests to him, hey, why don't we create a new uh, news uh, synchronization software? And they go forth and do exactly that. And this is the point where news groups kind of start to take some of their current form. They improve the files format and storage. They add the ability for articles to have expiration dates so you're not shipping back this huge uh, uh, content over these networks repeatedly. And, and they add history for individual users so people can see what they read and don't read, didn't read. And if you think about it, those sound like pretty darn fundamental features, don't they? Um, hey, if you look at what the A News Reader was and what this earlier UUCP thing was, it wasn't a lot of software. It wasn't a lot of complexity, but it was just enough to get the job done. Uh, that minimal viable product that you hear talked about, but you might not necessarily think about. You know, can I distill what I'm doing to the minimum? The 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 only thing that is required to make that happen. Well, B News, it starts getting away from that a little bit, but it also, I'd argue at this point, we're not yet to the point of a true MVP. Like this isn't to the level of generic user off the street or even, you know, the the level of wow, these things do what I would want. Uh we're to the level of bare minimum uh, uh usability. And so the popularity of this thing is going to continue to grow over years. And, and of course, people move on and, and move away and, and so on. And a guy by the name of Rick Adams takes over uh, the, the B News program. Uh, again, creative names. Just love this. You had A News and now you have B News. Um, and Rick Adams... He is a data analyst. He's working for a subcontractor for the U.S. DOD, and he has access to ARPANET. He has access to uh, Intercontinental Bridge, so he can he can have computers talking between uh, the United States and Europe. And 
he's doing this in his spare time. Um, not necessarily completely under the table. I, I've I've seen uh, different interviews indicating different uh, uh, levels of how supported Usenet was in general. Um, but in a lot of organizations, these servers were kind of running off hours. Um, you know, over the night, you know, somebody would, would uh, you know, they'd set it up to synchronize for reasons. Anyway, Rick Adams takes over B News. And in 1987, he has this idea and he proposes uh, at the Usenix, uh, uh, or to Usenix, that, that Unix users group where the, the first prototype of this thing was talked about, he proposes UUNet. And the idea of UUNet was to have Usenet feeds available commercially. Uh, initially to larger, you know, uh, uh, audiences, but it would be kind of the first uh, initial, uh, uh, not not corporate, but it would be the first uh, general purpose, you know, consumable offering of this, where you didn't have to be a, a total geek to get it. Um, now, meanwhile, back at the university system, uh, we have some other stuff going on, and... Uh, there's really kind of two main parallel development paths. One is a little bit earlier, and, and that is, you know, a couple of these students, they're seeing uh, all, all of these things are still using UCP, and it's, of course, expensive, but access to ARPANET and access to general purpose networking is getting cheaper. And so they come up with the idea of doing, instead of UCP, doing this news group transfer and synchronization between computers over an IP network. And they create the original uh, network news transfer protocol, or NNTP, which is the thing that you would say today is the basis or the base protocol for news groups, how those uh, computers talk to each other. And shortly after they kind of come out with their paper and their reference piece of software, uh, NNTP, again, creatively named, uh, which got folded into uh, one of the major Unix distributions at the time. Uh, another couple students at the University of Toronto, Henry Spencer and Geoff Collier, uh, they noticed that B News kind of sucks. Um, well, I say kind of sucks, but Keep in mind, this has all been evolutionarily uh, designed at this point, right? You had A News, and then you had B News. Um, B News, written originally by, uh, partially at least, by a high school kid. And now you have what they're going to call, again, very creatively, C News. And C News was their answer to some fairly major bugs in B News. It, they couldn't really quite look at how to fix without involving quite a bit of the program. And so uh, Rick Adams, not long after they come up with uh, with this program, uh, Rick Adams says, yeah, never mind on B News. It, it, it's no good. Uh, use C News instead. And now you have Usenet. Uh, th this is at this point in time, you're in, in the early 90s, and access to the Internet is very quickly going to become a thing. And Usenet and news groups are going to grow like bananas. Uh, now, this is where I'm going to cut it off for this episode because I, I think 
we've covered the the rise of news groups at this point. Like you're looking at this piece of software and its evolution over time as it's become this thing that news groups would be. This this site that you could pull up in a news group reader and select an article and reply back to that article and have communication um, uh, via email, but have communication on a subject or have communication on an article. And we've covered the full development process of that piece of that that piece of software as as it came into being. Um, not necessarily all of the various pieces, but at least the server side we, we've talked about and, and how the the primary and the most important ones got out there. And I, I think it's a good time to take a step back and look at the lessons that we can learn from, from all of this. And the, the first lesson to me, at least, is the worse is better mindset. And, and I haven't explained that. I know I opened this podcast with it, but I, I think it's a really good mindset. And I, I think it's one that people don't have enough of in life in general. I think, uh, especially us nerds, uh, if, if you're a perfectionist, you need to learn this. And, and that's the idea that sometimes just getting something done, even if it's imperfect, uh, much like this podcast, um, my wife has told me repeatedly, it's like, just record an episode and push it up. Don't even bother listening to it. Um, I, I haven't been able to do that yet, but maybe eventually. Um, but that that idea of the seeking for perfection and never landing it, and at some point, worse, if worse means something happens, it's better. Um, another way of phrasing this, I don't think it's quite as, you know, uh, catchy is, you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, and I think that's a very important concept in, in software. Like sometimes not having all the features, especially if the features interfere with the base level functionality, not having all the features can be a good thing. Um, especially if you're, if you just want to use something like, like the picture, you know, using a complicated audio recording program versus just being able to click record on your phone, there's a difference, um, between the use cases for those. And there's a place for something to just exist so you can figure out how it's going to be used. Uh, kind of the second thing I think is the idea of prototyping. I, I don't know where this idea comes from, but I, I see it in middle management. I see it with new developers and I, I see it on TV, so maybe that's the answer there. But there's a perception that code happens in some glorious uh, uh, flurry of keyboard activity where magically this perfect thing is pooped out immediately by a developer. And it comes out pristine and there's no issues. It doesn't even need tested. Like... You never see uh, a developer in a video trying to compile a piece of software and having that fail. Like it always, it is always done immediately. Like like they they type it, type it, type it. They don't even backspace. They type it, type it, type it. Hit enter, and somehow that act of hitting enter magically makes a working thing that is capable of of doing whatever the task is at hand. And, and that's just not realistic. Uh, 
prototypes always happen. And, and when you look at news groups and in the history of that, we, we can kind of identify several major prototypes. You had the original shell scripts developed uh, to synchronize those servers. Then you had the A new system. Then you had the B new system. And, and one of the things about the original NNTP protocol was their primary goal was compatibility with those things. They weren't trying to rewrite the world. They were just trying to make something that worked. And so that is one of the most important elements of software. You have to build prototypes. Uh, the failure to build a prototype is going to result in, uh, well, crappy software. It doesn't happen on the first uh, draft. Uh, not, not unless you're, you know, Stephen King, the programmer. And kind of the last thing I'd like to talk about as far as this adventure goes of news groups, and that is that creative thinking happens at an individual level. And what I mean by that is if you look at this story so far, you can see that the people that innovated here, they got their ideas and inspirations uh, from within. It was not coming from a committee Indeed, you know, one of the, the quotes I gave that was joking about committees and, and not being able to develop things. It, it came from individual inspiration. It was people working in off hours, doing things on their own time, experimenting and enjoying the, uh, the, the spur of creativity. And, you know, when I say that uh, creative thinking happens at an individual level, that doesn't mean it's isolated from others uh, creative thinking the the idea the the impetus is the individual level but in order for us to have that it's the the, the social interaction at times that can really drive it and create those things so the last one the last kind of lesson that i'd like to to take in all of this and it's related to the idea of prototyping and that is that the first step in innovation is the hardest. Um, you know, one of the things here is this was all evolutionary. The, the revolutionary thing was the simplest step. It was the simplest piece of software. It was not a complicated thing. They didn't start with NNTP news groups on the internet and all of the standards that would follow for naming and, and conventions and, and the mapping of the, the Usenet network. They started with, hey, can we make these two computers talk to each other? And then everything else after that happened in an organic fashion. And that's, again, going back to the prototype idea. I think people think the iPhone, as a for instance, that the iPhone just happened. That uh, you know Steve Jobs came in one day and said, we need a phone, and it should look like this, and be a little rectangle, and it'll work, and do things. And that's not what happened. You had very, very similar phones, similar ideas out in the web uh, or in the world, excuse me, um, that existed at that point. And, and the iPhone was a refinement. Now, it, it seemed revolutionary to a lot of people and, and still does because it, it was ready at that point. The technology had finally gotten mature enough that a polished version for general consumption was was available but before that again 
you had lots of phones with touchscreens. You had uh, the WinCE devices, and, and you had the, the uh, Palm Pilot, um, you know, the, the personal digital organizer. All these things existed before the iPhone. The iPhone, it, it evolved. It was, it was not a, a revolutionary thing. It was an evolutionary thing that, that caught on. Anyway, I, I hope you found that little history of Usenet uh, at least moderately interesting. I, I know I find it fascinating. Um, I think the fall of Usenet uh, is, is a more fascinating subject. It's also kind of where I started coming in on the scene. Um, I didn't really have, you know, I wasn't alive for some of this history, but um, I didn't have access to, to Usenet until... Uh, I want to say it was the, the mid-90s, um, definitely after some of the events I'll talk about, uh, the Eternal September. Um, it, it was after that, but it, it was it was nearing this point in time where we're paused at. Anyway, until next time, I hope that everybody is doing well in these trying times and keeping positive, and I wish you all well, and I'll see you later with the fall of news groups.